1: Would you mind introducing yourself, however you like, to the audience? So
2: my name is Aida Rodriguez. Um, some of y'all know me as Funny Aida on social media. I'm a stand-up comedian, a writer, a producer, and an actor. And a mom. <laughs> um, and I, I'm a mom of a, a daughter and a son. And um, yeah, I'm happy to be here.
1: We'll get right into it. I know your time is valuable and limited. I was wondering if you guys-
3: <clears throat> Hi, I'm Lushik. I'm producing this episode. And if you don't know what a producer does, you're not alone. We do everything behind the scenes. Like right now, I'm sitting in this Zoom call. My camera is off and my mic is muted. I'm taking notes, thinking of questions, helping Eric stay on track. Because getting Ida on a call is wild. I'm not just a producer. I'm a fan of Ida Rodriguez. Because her specialty is making you laugh the entire time she's telling traumatic stories. Like on Tiffany Haddish's Netflix series, They Ready? Ida takes the stage.
2: So I'm like, I got to round up these white women because I need them to be allies to me. Right. Because we need solutions. Like I got molested. Um, and I talk about it freely. But I feel like there are better solutions to deal with people who touch children, right? Like, instead of testing cosmetics on animals, white ladies, I'm with you on that. Test them on
3: pedophiles. <laughs> Sell them on them, Sell. them. See, hilarious. But also, that was a lot. And the thing is, when I talk about my trauma, I do it in the same way. If only I had an audience, though.
1: Being funny is like such a good coping mechanism, right?
3: Um, I think, first
2: of all, I think my time is no more valuable than anyone else.
3: As I'm tuning into my headphones and really listening, I'm forgetting to do my job. Ida's comedy is an affront, and she's been through some shit. So I was really curious about what she's like when she's not trying to make people laugh the plan was to ask her how she has coped during the pandemic but the conversation that Eric and Ida are having is about way more than coping it's about thriving with scars i'm lashik and this is wild I had a dream.
2: This is Wild, a show about what it's like to grow up during the pandemic. Season one. Home forever.
3: Okay, back to the interview. Time to do my job.
1: Tell me about the time you had to live in your car, just because I'm curious about that story.
2: Um. So, you know, I, I've I practice um, this thing of not really engaging in trauma porn when it comes to myself and people of color, so I'm very judicious about talking about a lot of the things that happen to me, so I try to do it in the in the form of comedy because I do it so that it can free people who are dealing with the same issues and to let them know that they're not alone. Um, there was a time when I was homeless and I was living in my car with my daughter and my son and it was um it was a very hard time because you know i have friends that care about me and people who cared about me that did not want me to be homeless but and would let, open their homes to me um but there there's a level of shame and you know this feeling of failure that accompanies you when you become homeless because you don't realize um, the effects of, you know, toxic capitalism and, you know, systemic ills that cause us to be in the situations that we're in. So there was a brief moment where I did live in a car, and it was terrifying because I had to, you know, watch over the two people who matter to me the most in the world, and it was very, very hard.
1: I totally, I, I've i had to live in my car too, and I I totally respect the way you use comedy to take, like, these moments that are sometimes maybe tragic or, or like, I don't know, whatever you want to call them, but, like, to be able to cope, you know? Like, f- being funny is, like, such a good coping mechanism, right?
2: It's cathartic, um, but even sometimes it's not even about you, right? When I did Last Comic Standing, I, I had just lost my grandmother and my uncle, and so it was really hard. It was hard for me to feel... Joy, but I guess the only the only good- good thing that came of it, or the only thing that was fulfilling for me was that I was making other people happy in the moment where I wasn't happy myself, you know, and so comedy is something that people wake up every morning, most people, and go out to try to make other people happy that's what stand up comedians do, and so when people get um you know. Are so hard. Are really hard on comedians, which some people deserve to be, you know, reprimanded for some of the of the things that they say because they're intentionally being hurtful. But I would say that most people are just people trying to figure out their own pain and their own situation, and comedy is their way of doing that.
3: When Ida says that comedy is about figuring out your pain, I stop typing, stop taking notes. She just put it so simply. I relate to the way she jokes about trauma. That is a coping mechanism I have mastered. A year and a half ago, five years after I came to the U.S., I found lawyers and applied for asylum. I'm sitting there in an office with my lawyers in their very serious suits telling them about very serious shit about dangerous past, present, and future But all I remember is making them laugh for months as they prepared my case. As I watched Ida's Day Ready Set, she even talks about being a kid and getting kidnapped and makes the audience laugh. When they really shouldn't.
2: I got kidnapped twice. (laughs) I was hot in them streets. (laughs) The first time it was my mom, my mom kidnapped me from my father. I was living in the Dominican Republic with my dad and my mom stole me. She brought me to America, like basic parental kidnap shit. You know what I mean? She stole me. She was like, that motherfucker cheated on me. He will never see you again. You hear me? And that's how it went down. That bitch was serious. The second time I got kidnapped, though, I got kidnapped by my grandmother and my gay uncle. Imagine that, right? So they did a whole stakeout. My grandmother flew to New York because my mother was dating a killer, right? Yes. She was
3: dating a, murderer, a killer. Ooh. Hearing that set was like therapy. Also, I couldn't believe that someone could make a career out of their trauma in comedy. Hmm, maybe I have options. Back in the Zoom room with Eric and Ida, I want Ida to stop making me laugh. Tell me the story. Tell me the story behind the jokes. I write to Eric. Ask her, is it funny in the moment?
1: I'm wondering, though, like, if when you're in the moments, is it funny at the moment? Like, are you thinking, like, man, this is fucking crazy. Like, you were kidnapped twice, right? Like... Like, are you in those moments? Is it like, man, this is gonna be funny later, or what? What goes through your mind during those those moments?
2: Well, you know, that was something that I only spoke about on They Ready because it was very traumatic for me. And uh, with when you get kidnapped by someone that's related to you, people dismiss it at as at it as it as if it's not traumatic. <laughs> Because it's like, oh, your mom took you from your dad. Yeah, I never saw him again. And she changed my name. And my reality in life was that of someone who thought that they were abandoned by their father. When my grandmother took me from my mother, um, I didn't see my mother for a long time. And that was really hard for me because I wanted my mom. And I was a little kid. And it doesn't matter how much my grandmother loved me. There was no replacement for my mother So at the time, you know, none of it is funny. And honestly, it took me a long time to be able to make a joke about that. And I decided to do it on They Ready because I compartmentalized my comedy. And my They Ready set was really about where I came from. It wasn't about me being a mom. It wasn't about me being a a wife or a girlfriend. It was really just about where I came from because I wanted to bring those people to life. You know, part of the reason I do a lot of the things that I do on stage is not just about me. It's about releasing people like me from shame and guilt and from, you know, just releasing them from the things that happen to them. And sometimes I'm just the voice to that pain and that journey. And so to get people messages from people saying, you know, I was taken by a family member or, you know, people try to... uh, perm my hair straight or I was I was called the black one too and all of that stuff was um it was healing for me because I knew that it was helping other people as well be seen and
1: heard it's funny because it is healing like like as I'm watching and I'm hearing some of these stories I'm like I do think about my own experiences you know when I watch your stand-up especially the like winding up sort of in the car part because that happened to me you know I didn't have kids you know, thank, thankfully for me, but I was in a car and, like, you know, it was a time when my career sort of, like, just disappeared. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because I was, like, being able to laugh at that with you, like, really helped me a lot, you know, when I was like, damn, because I was ashamed, you know, you do get like, fuck, how did I wind up here, you know?
3: Okay, at this point, I'm smiling even though they can't see me. Eric just went there. Shame. That feeling that lingers long after the events that evoked it, I begin reflecting. Why is it that we carry shame years after? But I don't write that question to Eric. I keep that one for myself. I think about what shame and comedy do for each other.
1: When I when the pandemic hit and I was like, now we're all stuck in in, in this place. It kind of reminded me of my time, like in a car, and I was wondering if 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 you had those same thoughts.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've gone in and out of depression during the pandemic, up and down. Um, I just came back from New York because I had a I really uh, I, I hit a really dark low, and I wanted to get outside and walk because I needed to be outside and. Yeah, I do. I do think that this is reminiscent of that because even when you're homeless, you find a place where you can seek refuge and you're afraid because you are out in the world and you are vulnerable to whatever is in that environment um, and you feel trapped. And so this feeling of being uh, in these, you know, within these walls is very reminiscent of that, no matter how how much, you know, you have now or you live in a place and you're safe, it still reminds you of feeling trapped. I don't unpack at the hotel. Like, I have friends that would travel and would go somewhere for a week for comedy. And they could fully unpack and put the clothes in the closet. And, but my, I guess my trauma, like, I'm always ready to go. Like, I am always have my stuff in the bag, ready to go. Like, even my toiletries I keep in my bag, I'll, I'll go to the bathroom with it which is such a thing that people who are homeless have to do because they have to always guard over their stuff. And, you know, I don't know if that'll ever go away. I work on it.
1: What are some coping mechanisms you might have learned from back then that helped you get through the pandemic?
2: First of all, breathing. I got the, these meditation apps on my phone to learn how to meditate. I pray because I believe when you pray, you ask the questions, and when you meditate, you get the answers. Um, simple things you can do for your safety that I never thought about before, you know, and protecting yourself and your space. And for me, doing six, social distancing wasn't hard because it's something that I do. I would do anyway. It's like you, you know, where we from? is like give me five feet. So six is a bonus.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: I don't know why. But at that moment, I felt like jumping in and cracking some jokes. Maybe it was because Ida and Eric made me think about my own shame. And I just wanted to deal with it.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, let's make a whole lot of noise for the next comedian. It is a young woman by the name of Lucy.
3: Thank you, Shaka. Thank you for the welcome. Hi, everyone. Yeah, so uh, my name is Lushik, and I'm from Vermont. I love saying that shit to freak white people out. Yeah, so uh, the name is Foreign, and I'm foreign, uh, but it's foreign everywhere, so you're not special or anything. Where I come from, I'm a minority within a minority. So, like, only point zero one percent of the population will get my jokes and maybe like the three americans who are from the middle east <laughs> my parents named me luchik a name like me from nowhere and when i was a kid everybody wanted an explanation of what the name meant so when i was four i came up with the perfect one When adults would kneel down and in a baby voice ask me, Oh, what's your name? I'd say, none of your business. (laughs) And that's how my name became, none of your business. (laughs) When I was 16, I left. I just, by myself, just left. But I, I didn't just move across the country. I moved across borders. And I was living on tourist visa, which is like three months. So you're living on like bar time with permission. And uh, I went to Eastern Europe for high school and I spent the summers and winters couch surfing around Germany, hitchhiking up to Amsterdam and down to the countryside of France. And one time in Berlin, it's a crazy city, I went to a party and ended up in a sex dungeon by accident. That was definitely fun. But also when I realized I better end up in a country where I speak the language. (laughs) She gets even more wild in the U.S. I got out the subway in New York to a guy using geopolitical catcalls. Only in New York. He says, you gotta be Muslim looking like that girl. Where you from? You gotta be Muslim. I have no problem being Muslim. I'm just not. And I probably should have let him slide. But he picked the wrong woman to harass that day. He was going to stay his line, just cruise on by. He had no idea what he'd gotten himself into. Because, you see, we're not even a category on the census. And to change that, you got to raise awareness. So I decided to raise his awareness that day. (laughs) I schooled that man in a 2,000-year history of indigenous minorities in the Middle East. And to this day, it warms my heart knowing that I did my civic duty and sent that man home to practice politically correct sexual harassment.
2: Wild will return after this commercial break.
3: At this point in the interview, the idea of what Ida does with her comedy really started to click. She makes it okay for people to let go of trauma. And I got to watch her and Eric do that for each other in real time.
1: You know, I grew up in the hood too, so there's a lot of like... Like when I see somebody walking up to me, I'm like, is this someone that I owe something to that's going to be bad, you know? Like the, the footsteps come in and I'm like, Oh fuck. I hope this isn't somebody that I that I double crossed or something, you know. Like these these traumatic things they just stick with us. Yeah.
2: It's PTSD. It's actually PTSD and it's real.
1: But 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 because of that, like I developed, I think, my sense of humor around my traumas. Like I learned to laugh like at people who pointed guns at me, you know, like I learned to laugh at violence at Terrible situations, and like, (laughs) I'm wondering if you if if that was like similar to your upbringing, if it was just like, yo, this shit's wild. I can't I can't deal. I'm just gonna laugh at it.
2: Well, yeah, I mean it's a it's a natural response for us, right? We either kind of laugh or we're gonna cry, and where we come from, it is it's become part of the culture to be able to laugh at it because that's how we work through it. And we do things like we play the dozens or, you know, because it is, we snap on each other because it is a coping mechanism.
1: Is that what, like, prompted you to pursue comedy? What made that change in you?
2: I, you know, I always wanted to do stand-up. Um, the My journey there was very different. You know, I went away to school. I started modeling. I, um... I got married, you know, because I got pregnant and all this other stuff happened. And everything around me was driving me away from comedy. You know, the machismo of the of Latina family saying no man is going to want to marry a goofy, funny girl or whatever to, you know, just not being able to do it. So finally, when I broke free, I got up and I moved across the country with my daughter and my son to another state where I didn't know anybody but i never realized what a big deal that is to to like move across the country from miami to los angeles <laughs> i was young i was really young and you know with two little kids people my age were you know out partying popping bottles and i was trying to figure out how i was going to live and then um one day i was i was at a brunch and my girlfriend was like I, I want to roast, and can you roast me? Because she was like, you always you can roast really well. And I roasted her, and then Chris Spencer, who created Real Husbands of Hollywood with Kevin Hart, he's a comedian, and he's been around comedians. He works with you know Jamie Foxx and Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish. He was like, hey, I think you're a stand-up. You know, he was like, I think you should try it, because I think you're naturally a stand-up. And he gave me a list of open mics, and I just started going secretly. Um, and I was homeless at the time. People didn't know I was homeless. I had a full-time job because I wasn't homeless and, and and lazy, as some people like to say. I had a job. And um, I would go at night because I needed something to release. And then I just started doing both. And I did both and was a full-time parent until comedy started paying off so that I could quit my job. But it was something that came to me later.
1: What did the kids think? Did they know you were doing stand up at night?
2: Yeah, they were cool. They've always been. We are dream supporters. Uh, we are a trifecta, and we uh, support each other's dreams. And you know, they both were like, you know, do it. And when when I thought about quitting, sometimes because I thought it was it was too hard for them, and they were like, if you quit, you know, you better not quit. They've always been very supportive. They're they're there for all the tapings. That's who I salute. When people ask me, like, who are you saluting from the stages? I'm saluting my daughter and my son. Dream Keepers, our family is, that's what you want to do? All right, let's go do it. So my life changed because my Cuban stepfather came into my life and he was very racist and he didn't like me because I was the dark one. And one day he was taking me and my brother to school and it was raining and this motherfucking man Them on the bus stop, and the light turns red. The light turned red because God is good. Yes. Yes. That dude had an umbrella in one hand, and with the other hand, he beat my stepfather's ass. You know, my stepfather wobbled back to the car. He had all these bruises and welts. Hey, my brother was crying because that's his real father.
1: <laughs> One of the things that makes me cringe sometimes is like the idea that my uh, parents and family are listening to all these very personal stories that I tell. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just how do you how does that does that something you go through too?
2: Oh absolutely. You know my. I mean the story of my stepfather getting beat up that's my brother's real father you know and it's something I had to clear with him because it's a story that you know when he when when that special came out people were texting him saying that that was your bitch ass in the car crying wasn't it <laughs> and so uh he sends me the screenshots you know it's the comedy that I do that is that involves my family doesn't go to the public until it is cleared by them. I talked to my brother about it. He came to a show in Miami. He saw the joke. Um, It was really funny. It was very well-received. And he was like, cool. Um, It also helps that my stepfather doesn't speak English. So I don't know if he's watching it on Netflix um, being, uh, you know, dubbed, but he doesn't speak English. So that helps a little bit.
1: I just want to ask if if you were gonna give advice to anyone um, that's stuck, that feels like they're in a situation where they feel trapped, what would you what would you tell them?
2: I always think about things from the the perspective of I'll think about some of the lowest moments in my life and where I am now. And how in those moments I felt that I was not going to come out on the other side and I've had many of those moments. And I think to where I am now. And I'm like, you see how that, you see how that works. So I have to give myself that same space in the future. Somebody just told me they do this thing called 10, 10, 10, where is it going to matter in 10 minutes? Is it going to matter in 10 months. Is it going to matter in 10 years? And so I know that it's easier said than done. Um, I just like to tell people to give themselves grace because if you are in an uncomfortable or a bad situation, a lot of times, you know, when you're homeless, it's by design. You know, we are in a country that the government is ran by corporations and everything is driven by money. A lot of homeless people are not homeless by choice. They're homeless by design. And it keeps this capitalistic system going. That's very toxic and harmful for people who are disenfranchised and marginalized. So I think that when you are in a moment where you feel like stuck, think about the fact that, you know, first of all, no matter how much they try to tell you that some people are worth more than others. Steve Jobs made all the money in the world and still died of cancer, you know, like Prince, you know, Michael Jackson, DMX. You know, like when you think about the fact that the the planet is, no matter what they try to tell you about people, um, all of us are just these beings that are here for a particular reason in this point in time. There's definitely something bigger than us because we can't possibly be the smartest things on the planet with without the harm that we do to it. So just give yourself space and know that You are six feet away from an opportunity that can change your life and it has everything to do with how you think. And so in those moments where you're feeling dark, remember to surround yourselves with things that inspire you and bring you light because your subconscious mind is a recorder. And if you fill it with the things that feed you and your spirit, you will see the fruits of that. And if you feed it with the negative and dark stuff, you will see the fruits of that. So just it's a moment and just remember all the moments that, you have already, um, that you've already surpassed and, and conquered and just know that this is just another one of those.
1: That's, that's so beautiful. That's so dope. Thank, thank you, Ida. I, I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us. No,
2: thank you for having me. I'm honored and I appreciate it. And listen, I believe my mantra is the universe agrees with a made up mind. So make a decision and watch the universe work, but don't forget to work with it.
3: I put stop recording on Zoom. I thank Ida as well. I close my laptop. An interview I have prepared for two weeks is over. And she may not even remember my name, but I remember this. It's a moment I will not forget. You know what's wild? I drove from Vermont to Connecticut to meet my lawyers, and I got off the highway onto Asylum Avenue. And I don't know which asylum they named it after. Asylum. Even though my asylum was granted, I carry the shame of having resorted to asylum in the first place. And even that is a privilege. I was in this country for five years before seeking asylum. And in the interview, They asked why I waited. The reason is that some ways of migrating are more respected than others. Not only for where you end up, but also for where you came from. I had gone to a U.S. college. I was supposed to graduate and get a work visa, then a green card, then permanent residency. Where I come from, that's the definition of success. Staying in the country because the powers that be want you here. Asylum is being vulnerable. You stay in the country because you have nowhere else to go to be safe. Nowhere wants you. So joking about it is a way to take back control of the traumas that made me feel helpless. Joking is taking back my story. Joking is agency.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, let's make a whole lot of noise for the next comedian. It is a young woman by the name of Lou
1: Sheik.
3: One of my best friends, who is the type of person, no matter what state you're in, just brings out the best in you and makes you laugh that really deep laugh that you only hear when you're around people who know your soul. I have a parrot, so I spent time with him. <laughs> he learned a new word. He says, te quiero.
2: I've just been able to discover so much more about this city that I overlooked or that I didn't see. And that has just opened my eyes up more to the history of this city, to the um, brilliance of this city, and just also to just the circumstances in which all of us live under. And so it's been an ongoing reinvention of my creative process.
1: That's Shan Wallace, a photographer who built herself a curated life in the bubble. And she's not ready to say goodbye to all that. That's on the next episode of Wild.
0: This episode of Wild was written, produced, and sound designed by Lushik Waba. Joke tracking and delivery supported by Shaka Mali. It was edited by Eric Galindo and Megan Tan, who also contributed to the sound design. It was engineered by Eduardo Perez. Our producers are Victoria Alejandro and Luci Waba. Marina Pena is our associate producer and fact checker. Shaka Mali is an associate producer at large and our announcer. Megan Tan is our senior producer. Eric Galindo is our host and editor. Jessica Pilot is our talent producer and our executive producers are Antonia Zarajito and Leo G. Ida Set from They Ready is courtesy of Netflix and Ida Rodriguez. Shout out to Marissa klug morataya for shooting our album art and Steve Rosa for the assist. The theme song is I Got Everything by Ms. 007. Our website, laestudios.com, is designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital team and by our marketing team, who also created our branding. Wild is a production of LA Studios. Special thanks to the team over there, including me, Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Hayford, Kristen Muller, and Leo G., This program is made possible by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.
1: Woo! I nailed it, I think. This is Eric G. I'll catch you next time.
2: This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting a private corporation funded by the American people. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round.
1: This is clearly an NPR audience. <laughs> yeah, I think they're
3: so smart.
2: Just... What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.